This is the Saturn Theater on the Air, a production of Nutmeg Junction. The Saturn Theater on the Air strives to create captivating audio performances of traditional works, new adaptations, and original productions featuring exceptional voice actors and performers. This is episode four of our original adaptation of Oscar Wilde's An Ideal Husband. Previously, Conservative politician Lord Robert Chilton found that his political future and his marriage to his wife Diana were being threatened by a letter written by him years before. The criminal, Mrs. Cheveley, is using the letter to blackmail Lord Chilton into supporting her fraudulent digital currency scheme. Lady Diana has learned of the currency scheme and has convinced her husband to oppose it, although she is unaware he is keeping the blackmail evidence secret from her. As the scene opens, Lady Diana confronts Mrs. Cheveley at the Chiltern Estate. Mrs. Cheveley, I think it is right to tell you quite frankly that, had I known who you really were, I should not have invited you to my house last night. Really? I could not have done so. I see that after all these years, you have not changed a bit, Diana. I never change. Then life has taught you nothing? It has taught me that a person who has once been guilty of a dishonest and dishonorable action may be guilty of it a second time and should be shunned. Would you apply that rule to everyone? Without exception. Then I am sorry for you, Diana. Very sorry for you. You see now, I was sure, that for many reasons any further acquaintance between us during your stay in London is quite impossible. Do you know, Diana? I don't mind your talking morality a bit. Morality is simply the attitude people like you adopt towards people whom you personally dislike. You dislike me. I'm quite aware of that, and I have always detested you. And yet, I've come here to do you a service. Like the service you wished to render my husband last night, I suppose. Thank heaven I saved him from that. It was you who made him write that insolent letter to me? It was you who made him break his promise? Yes. Then you must make him keep it. I give you till tomorrow morning, no more. If by that time your husband does not solemnly bind himself to help me in this great scheme in which I'm interested. This fraudulent speculation. Call it what you choose. I hold your husband in the hollow of my hand. And if you are wise, you will make him do what I tell him. You are impertinent. What has my husband to do with you, with a woman like you? <laughs> in this world, like meets with like. It is because your husband is himself fraudulent and dishonest that we pair so well together. Between you and him, there are chasms. He and I are closer than friends. We are enemies linked together. The same sin binds us. How dare you class my husband with yourself? How dare you threaten him or me? Leave my house. You are unfit to enter it. Your house? A house bought with the price of dishonor? A house everything in which has been paid for by unnatural affair? Ask Robert, there, what the origin of his fortune is. Get him to tell you how he got appointed to his first position. Learn from him to what you owe your position. It is not true. Robert, it is not true. Look at him. Can he deny it? Does he dare to? Go. Go at once. You have done your worst now. Out. You sold yourself for a cabinet position. 
You began your life with fraud. You built up your career on dishonor. Oh, tell me it is not true. Lie to me, lie to me. Tell me it is not true. What this woman said is in a way true, but Diana, listen to me. You don't realize all the details that make this look bad. Let me tell you the whole thing. Don't come near me. Don't touch me. I feel as if you've soiled me forever. Oh, what a mask you've been wearing all these years. A horrid, painted mask. You sold yourself for money. Oh, a common thief or a better. You put yourself up to sale to gain your position. You were bought in the market. You lied to the whole world. And yet, you will not lie to me. Diana! Diana! No, don't speak. Say nothing. Your voice wakes terrible memories. Memories of things that made me love you. Memories of words that made me love you. Memories that now are horrible to me. And how I worshipped you. You were to me something apart from common life. A thing pure, noble, honest, without stain. The world seemed to me finer because you were in it. And goodness more real because you lived. And now, when I think that I made a man like you my ideal. The ideal of my life. There was your mistake. There was your error. The error all women commit. Why can't you women love us, faults and all? Why do you place us on monstrous pedestals? We all have feet of clay, women as well as men. But when we men love women, we love them knowing their weaknesses, their, their imperfections. Love them all the more, it may be, for that reason. It is not the perfect, but the imperfect who have need of love. It is when we are, are wounded by our own hands or by the hands of others that love should come to cure us. Else, what use is love at all? All sins, love should forgive. All lives, save loveless lives, true love should pardon. A man's love is like that. It's wider, larger. Women think that they're making idols of men. What they are making of us are false idols merely. You made your false idol of me, and I had not the courage to come down, show you my wounds, tell you my weaknesses. I was afraid that I, I might lose your love, as I have lost it now. And so, last night, you, you ruined my life for me. Yes, ruined it. What this woman asked of me was nothing compared to what she offered to me. She offered security, peace, stability. The sin of my youth that I had thought was buried rose up in front of me, hideous, horrible, with its hands at my throat. I could have killed it forever, destroyed its record, burned the one witness against me. You prevented me. No one but you, you know it. And now, what is there before me but public disgrace, ruin, terrible shame, the mockery of the world, a lonely, dishonored life, a lonely, dishonored death, it may be someday. Let women make no more idols of men. Let them not put them on altars and bow before them or they may ruin other lives as completely as you, you whom I have loved so wildly. 
have ruined mine. <laughs>
<clears throat> yes, Father, but I only admit to 32, 31 and a half when I have a really good boutonniere. This boutonniere is simply not trivial enough. I tell you, you are 37, sir. And there is a draft in your room, besides which makes your conduct worse. Why did you tell me there was no draft, sir? I feel the draft, sir. I feel it distinctly. <coughs> so do I, Father. It, it, it's a dreadful draft. I will come and see you tomorrow, Father. We can talk over anything you like. Let me help you on with your coat, Father. No, sir. I have called this evening for a definite purpose, and I am going to see it through at all costs to my health or yours. Put down my cloak. Certainly, sir. Father. But let us go into another room. There's a dreadful draft here. Phipps, is there a good fire in the smoking room? Yes, my lord. Come in there, father. Your sneezes are quite heart-rendering. Conceited young puppy. <laughs> Phipps, there is a lady coming to see me this evening on particular business. Show her into the drawing room when she arrives. You understand? Yes, my lord. It is a matter of the gravest importance, Phipps. I understand, my lord. No one else is to be admitted, under any circumstances. I understand, my lord. That is probably the lady. I shall see her myself. Well, sir, am I to wait all evening on you? In a moment, father. Do excuse me. Remember my instructions, Phipps. Into that room. Yes, my lord. What name, madam? Is Lord Goring not here? I was told he was at home. His lordship is engaged at present with Lord Caversham, ma'am. How very filial. His lordship told me to ask you, madam, to be kind enough to wait in the drawing room for him. His lordship will come to you there. Lord Goring expects me? Yes, madam. Are you quite sure? His lordship told me that if a lady called, I was to ask her to wait in the drawing room. His lordship's directions on the subject were very precise. How thoughtful of him. To expect the unexpected shows a thoroughly modern intellect. Ugh, how dreary a bachelor's drawing room always looks. I shall have to alter all this. Shall I turn up the lights, madam? No, don't turn up the lights. It is far too glaring. Light some candles. As you wish, madam. I hope the candles have very attractive candle holders. We have had no complaints about them, madam, as yet. I shall return shortly with a candelabra. I wonder what woman he is waiting for tonight. It would be delightful to catch him. Men always look so silly when they are caught, and they are always being caught. interesting room. A very interesting picture. wonder what his correspondence is like. Hmm. What a very uninteresting correspondence. Bills and cards, debts and dowagers. Who on earth writes to him on pink paper? It looks like the beginning of a paperback romance. Romance should never begin with sentiment. It should begin with science and end with a settlement. I know that handwriting. That is Diana Chilton's. I remember it perfectly. The Ten Commandments in every stroke of the pen. And the moral law all over the page.
wonder what Diana is writing to him about. Something horrid about me, I suppose. How、oh, I detest that woman! I trust you. I want you. I'm coming to you, Diana. I trust you. I want you. I am coming to you. <laughs> The candles in the drawing room are lit, madam, as you directed. Thanks. I'll just put Diana's letter in my pocket for safekeeping. My dear father, if I am to get married, surely you will allow me to choose the time, place, and person, particularly the person. That is a matter for me, sir. You probably make a very poor choice. It is I who should be consulted, not you. There is property at stake. It is not a matter for affection. Affection comes later on in married life. Yes, in married life, affection only comes when people thoroughly dislike each other. Father, isn't that true? Certainly, sir. I mean, certainly not, sir. You are talking very foolishly tonight. What I say is that marriage is a matter for common sense. Women who have common sense are so curiously plain, father, aren't they? Of course, I, I only speak from hearsay. No woman, plain or pretty, has any common sense at all, sir. Common sense is a privilege of our gender. Quite so, and we men are so self-sacrificing that we never use it, do we, father? I use it, sir. I use nothing else. So my mother tells me. It is the secret of your mother's happiness. You are very heartless, sir. Very heartless. I hope not, father. Take care. My dear David, what a piece of good luck meeting you on the doorstep! Your servant had just told me you were not at home. How extraordinary! The fact is, I'm horribly busy tonight, Robert, and I gave orders I was not at home to anyone. Even my father had a comparatively cold reception. He complained of a draft the whole time. Oh, you—you you must be at home to me, David. You're my best friend. Perhaps by tomorrow you'll be my only friend. My wife has discovered everything. Ah,、uh, I guessed as much. Really? How? Oh, merely by something in the expression of your face as you came in. Who told her? Mrs. Cheveley herself. And the woman I love now thinks that I began my career with an act of low behavior, that I built up my life upon sands of shame, that I traded myself to gain my position. I thank heaven, poor Lord Radley died without witnessing my shame. I would to God I had died rather than having this brought into the open. I don't know what to do, David. I don't know what to do, and you're my only friend. But what a friend you are—the one friend I can trust. I can trust you absolutely, can't I? My dear Robert, of course.、Uh, will you excuse me for a moment, Robert? I want to give some directions to my servant. Certainly. <clears throat> When that lady calls, tell her that I am not expected home this evening. Tell her I have been suddenly called out of town. You understand? The lady is in that room, my lord. You told me to show her into that room, my lord. You did perfectly right. What a mess I am in. No, I think I shall get through it. I'll give her a lecture through the door. Awkward thing to manage, though. 
David, tell me, what should I do? My life seems to have crumbled about me. I'm a ship without a rudder in a night without a star. Robert, you love your wife, don't you? I love her more than anything in the world. I used to think ambition the great thing. It is not. Love is the great thing in the world. There is nothing but love, and I love her. But I'm defamed in her eyes. I'm ignoble in her eyes. There's a wide gulf between us. Has she never in her life done some folly, some indiscretion, that she should not forgive your sin? My wife? Never. She does not know what weakness or temptation is. I am of clay like other men. She stands apart as good women do, pitiless in her perfection, cold and stern and without mercy. But I love her, David. I was brutal to her this evening. But I suppose when sinners talk to saints, they are brutal always. I said to her things that were hideously true on my side, from my standpoint, from the standpoint of men. Oh, but don't let us talk of that. Your wife will forgive you. Perhaps at this moment she is forgiving you. She loves you, Robert. Why should she not forgive? God grant it. God grant it. I've made up my mind what I'm going to do today in the assembly. The debate on the digital currency is to begin at 11. Oh, what is that sound in the drawing room? Nothing. No, no, I heard a chair fall in the next room. Someone has been listening. No, no, there's no one there. No, there is someone. There are lights in the room and the door. It's ajar. Someone has been listening to every secret of my life. David, what does this mean? Robert, you are excited, unnerved. I tell you, there's no one in that room. Sit down, Robert. Do you give me your word that there is no one there? Yes. Your word of honor? Yes. David, let me see for myself. No, no. Oh, if there's no one there, why should I not look in that room? Uh, David, you must let me go into that room and satisfy myself. Let me know that no eavesdropper has heard my life's secret. David, you don't realize what I'm going through. Robert, this must stop. I have told you that there is no one in that room. That is enough. It is not enough. I insist on going into this room. You have told me that there's no one there, so what reason can you have for refusing me? For God's sakes, don't! There is someone there. Someone whom you must not see. Aha! I thought so! I forbid you to enter that room. Stand back. My life is at stake, and I don't care who is there. I will know who it is to whom I have told my secret and my shame. Great heavens, he is going to discover his wife has been listening the whole time. What explanation have you to give me for the presence of that woman here? Robert, I swear to you on my honor that that lady is stainless and guiltless of all offenses toward you. She is a vile and infamous thing. Don't say that, Robert. It was for your sake she came here. It was to try and save you she came here. She loves you and no one else. You are mad. What have I to do with her intrigues with you? Let her remain your mistress. You are well suited to each other. She, corrupt and shameful. You, false as a friend, treacherous as an enemy, even Is not true, Robert. Before heaven, it is not true. In her presence and in yours, I will explain all. Let me pass, sir. You have lied enough upon your 
word of honor. Good evening, Lord Goring. Mrs. Cheveley, good God! What on earth are you doing in my drawing room? Merely listening. I have a perfect passion for eavesdropping. One always hears such wonderful things if one just blends into the background and listens. Doesn't that sound rather like tempting fate? Oh, surely fate can resist temptation by this time. I am glad you have called. I am going to give you some good advice. Oh, pray don't. One should never give a woman anything that she can't wear or take to the bank. I see you are quite as willful as you used to be. Far more. I have improved. I have greatly improved. I have had more experience. Too much experience is a dangerous thing. You have come here to sell me Robert Chilton's letter, haven't you? To offer it to you, on conditions. And how did you guess that? Because you haven't mentioned the subject. Have you got it with you? Oh, no. A well-made dress has no pockets. What is your price for it? How absurdly common you are. Do you think that a checkbook can solve every problem in life? Why, well, my dear David, I have very much more money than you have, and quite as much as Robert Chiltern has got hold of. Money is not what I want. What do you want then, Mrs. Cheveley? Why don't you call me Laura? I don't like the name. You used to adore it. Yes, that's why I don't like it. <laughs> David, you loved me once. Yes. And you asked me to be your wife. That was the natural result of my loving you. And you threw me over because you thought, or said you thought, poor old Lord Mortlake and I were having an affair at Tenby. I am under the impression that my lawyer settled that matter with you very specific terms. Dictated by yourself, as I recall. At that time I was poor. You were rich. Quite so. That is why you pretended to love me. Ugh. I loved you, David. My dear Mrs. Cheveley, you have always been far too clever to know anything about love. I did love you. And you loved me. You know you loved me. And love is a rare thing to find in this life. When I saw you last night at the Children's, I knew you were the only person I had ever cared for. If I have ever cared for anybody, David. And so, on the morning of the day you marry me, I will give you Robert Chiltern's letter. That is my offer. I will give it to you now, if you promise to marry me. Now? Tomorrow. Are you really serious? Yes, quite serious. And so ends episode four of our original adaptation of Oscar Wilde's An Ideal Husband. This episode featured the voice talents of Greg Boucher, Scott Brill, Jerry Crystal, Vito D'Ambrosio, Laura Herskovicki, Angela Luna Grano, Selena Marie, Devin Rickmeyer, Humphrey Ralston, and Jeff Savage. Musical selections are obtained from incomptech.filmmusic.io 
and are used under the Creative Commons license for non-profit production. And our theme music is Auroras of Saturn by Music L Files. This original adaptation was written and produced for Saturn Theatre on the Air by Jerry Crystal in connection with Nutmeg Junction and executive producer J. Timothy Quirk. Please join us next time for Saturn Theatre on the Air's original adaptation of Oscar Wilde's An Ideal Husband. <laughs>